All right, well, let's look at our study. We're in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to go up to the fifth verse of chapter 22. And we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So let me just kind of bring up to speed where we're at. Up to this point now, we're entering into a new phase. The tribulation has ended. Jesus Christ has come. He's reigned for a thousand years. The great white throne judgment has taken place. The wicked, those who are... Now, I'm explaining to you, when we talk about the wicked, we're talking about... The Bible describes anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior as the wicked. So you could be the most moral person there is. If you don't know Jesus, you're a wicked person as far as the Bible is concerned. And we see the, the judgment of the wicked as they're cast into the lake of fire. Now we're going to go into chapter 22 where we enter into the eternal state. Now, what I want you to understand is, is that I want you to see the plan of God. In the beginning, he created a garden. He put man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. It was perfect. It was paradise. He had perfect fellowship with them. No sin. Nothing. No problems. When we get to chapter 21, you're basically going to see paradise regained. You're basically going to see what was lost restored. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so we're going to look at this together. So notice with me, first of all, verse 1, we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth created. Verse 1, John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. First thing I want you to see is, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. So he sees a new heaven and a new earth. So everything is completely changed, new, restored. Not even restored, it's completely different. So when you hear people, can I be honest with you, I know some of you like southern gospel music, some of you don't. But some of you like to hear southern gospel music and they talk about the streets of gold and, you know, and mansions and all of that. First of all, you have to realize a lot of that's based on poor theology. It sounds good, but it ain't Bible. Because the reality is, is that we are not going to live in heaven forever. We're going to be on the new earth. And it's not what... Well, here, let me bring you to the next point. The old heaven and the old earth had passed away. So, okay, how many of you love the hills here? in our part of Pennsylvania. You love the rolling hills. You love the hardwoods. You love the, if the spring's coming. I already know the spring's coming. Allergies. It's already starting up. I'm starting to feel congested, and it isn't a cold. You know? And you, know, and you love the fall with the, the change of the colors, and you love you know, the animals and everything. Folks, one day it's all going to be gone. Wiped out. Gone. Burned up. Everything you know is going to pass away. Even the old heaven is going to be done away with. We say, well, we haven't even experienced that. Yeah, but it's going to be done away with. It's gone. So he's going to talk about a new Jerusalem, a new city. Look with me at verses 2 through 8. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. To he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, so let's take a look. The New Jerusalem is described here. First thing, John sees the emergence of a city as the bride of Christ. So there's this new holy city. Folks, I really believe it's going to be the only city in the new earth. Okay? I believe it's going to be the only city because there really isn't going to be any need for any other cities. There isn't going to be any nations. It's just going to be God's people. All right? Because in this city, why do I say that? Because in this city, well, we'll see here in a moment, something special about this city. Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think when this new earth is created, it does point out that there is something that's not going to exist in the new earth. Go back to verse 1. Anybody see what's not going to exist? The sea. Does anybody know why there's not going to be any sea? God doesn't like water skiing? I mean, no, not division. Here's what it is. I'll help you to understand. In the Old Testament, the sea is always a picture of chaos. In the Old Testament, you see this in Isaiah's prophecies. You see it even in how the disciples react when there's a great storm. It, it's always The sea is always seen as a place of chaos and a place where God is not. So what you see happening is, is in the new heaven, there is no sea. Because it's basically saying God is there, period. What I'm saying is in the new earth, there is no water. I mean, there's no sea. There's no ocean. There's no chaos. That's what the picture is there. All right? Now, we get back. John sees the vision of the city. Now, here's what he hears. He hears a loud voice. The voice announces that God himself will dwell with the saints. Now, this is why I think this is only going to be the only city. I mean, you're the people of God, and God himself dwells with you. Where do you think you're going to be? You're going to be there. Are you going to go off and start your own thing somewhere else? No. I mean, you're going to be in the holy All that matters is the holy city. Because God himself is going to dwell with his saints. Now think about that for a moment. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have had thoughts like, Lord, I just wish I could see you. I just wish I could just sense that you're here right now with me. I could just touch you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And, and, and there's a level of frustration because we live in these finite bodies. We're sinful creatures. We really can't behold the face of God. And we can, we can sense His presence. We can know that He's there through His Spirit. But it's just not the same, is it? I mean, there's something, that long, something within us that longs for something more. What I want you to see is in the eternal state, we are going to dwell with Him. So, like, for instance, when you think, here's what I want you to picture. Go all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. 
God created the garden. He put Adam. He created Eve out of Adam. And then it says that he walked with them, what? In the cool of the day. God walked with them. I mean, the thought of God walking with you, I mean, that just blows my mind. But that's what it's going to be like. Now, here's what I want you to notice, too. Verse 4 then tells us, there will no longer be any pain or sorrow. Look exactly what it says there in verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me just stop for a moment. Who's going to wipe your tears away? I mean, you remember, remember uh, parents, especially moms, when your little one scuffed their knee? They came in the house and they're crying, oh, you know, and you got to put the, you know, the Bactine on or pain oil if you really want to get at them or, you know, I mean, whatever you're putting on there and then you're what? Wiping away their tears, right? Telling them it's okay. That's the picture that I want you to see that God's going to do with us. God's going to wipe away our tears. What verse 4 is, can I be honest with you, what verse 4 is, verse 4 is really a picture of healing. Verse 4 is the ultimate healing. Like, so for instance, when we lose a loved one, do you ever get over that? Do you ever get over the pain of the loss? No. One day you will. Because he's going to wipe away the tears. Look, look specifically with me at verse 4. Look again. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, so you're not even going to be grieving anymore, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Now, think about that, especially if you're getting older. You know, and you throw your legs over the side of your bed, and you get up, and it's like, I ain't as young as I used to be. And, and, you, and some of us learn to live with pain. So some of you right now have a pain going on. You just learn to ignore it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've learned to ignore, you just learned to live with that pain. Think about that. Think about no more pain. Let's go on there. No more pain for the former things that passed away. Now here, here's another one I'm going to have. I had a, I had a professor in school that believed this, and I kind of lean towards where he's at. At this point in the eternal state, I don't think we're going to grieve our loved ones who were lost as far as not salvation, as far as going to hell. I think there's a place where we're going to forget, because we can't forget now. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think God, because there's not going to be any more pain, any more sorrow, any anything. And, you know, in the knowledge of knowing that a loved one went to hell, that's going to bother you, isn't it? And I think at that some point, we no longer are going to be bothered by that. Maybe we're not going to remember. Now, some of you are grimacing like, oh, really? Folks, that's pain. But there isn't going to be any more pain anymore. Here's what I want you to understand. Everybody understands the word regret? All of us have regrets, right? All of us have questions. How many of you have said things like, well, when I get to go be with Jesus, I'm going to ask him why that happened. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. There's going to come a point in the new, in the eternal state, when the new heaven and the new earth take place, and God dwells among us, and He wipes away every tear. There will be no more sorrow and everything. That's not going to matter. There will be no regrets, no more questions. We can't even imagine that. But at some point, that's what's going to happen. And, and I'll be honest with you, it almost has to happen. There's no almost to it. It has to happen. Why? For heaven to be perfect, for paradise to be perfect, all the scars have to be healed. All the pains have to be removed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, for paradise to be perfect. Like, how many of you ever? How many of you ever done this? I've done this before. In my first church, we were just laughing about this yesterday. Who were we? I don't know who we were talking to, but uh, we were talking about my first church. Four years I spent there. Oh, we were in my office looking at this picture. The only thing I got from my first church is this picture, thanking me for all my labors there. And I said, if you read between the lines. Sleepless nights, pains, uh, cringing, you know. I mean, it was, it was, in my first church, it was continual. Every month, something happening. I mean, I grew up in my first church. I got, I mean, I was no longer, I went there wet behind my ears, and uh, I grew up there. It was a lot of pain. I still live with that. I still do. I still think about that. I still think about that. I think about the pains. I got questions. I keep. There was a time when I run through my mind. What if we did this? What if this was different? And I keep coming to the same place. Nothing would have changed, you know. And there's going to be a time when it's not going to be there anymore. That's beyond my imagination. Heaven is beyond our imagination. Being with God is going to be beyond our imagination in the new city, on the new earth. You know what I'm saying? Some of you right now, you're thinking about, I mean, in your mind, you're thinking about whatever the pain is, whatever the, whatever the past is, and, and whatever, and, and the regrets are, and everything. And the concept of being completely free from that, that's beyond our comprehension, isn't it? That's verse 4. Isn't that awesome? I mean, isn't it awesome? Verse 4. That's an awesome verse. Okay, let's go on. He proclaims that he will make all things new. The loud voice from heaven proclaims that he will make all things new. Verse 5 through 8, we'll see that. The one on the throne says this. He who sat on the th throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Here's what I want you to see. He'll make all things new. And he says to John, write this down. This isn't just a spur of the moment promise that I'm going to break. You could take this one to the bank. Now, not the bank around here. They won't do anything for you with that. But the bank in heaven. So he announces that God himself will dwell with the saints. There will be no more sorrow. He proclaims that he will make all things new. 
Look at verse 6 through 7. He proclaims the promise of salvation to those who overcome. You know, I heard this said the other day, and I thought this was a great statement. Salvation is not a one-time decision. Salvation is a journey. What do you mean a journey, George? Here, let me explain it to you. It is a commitment that you make to Christ, but then you pursue that commitment the rest of your life. And when he says, to him who overcomes, it's because you pursued it to the end, and you overcame, and you're there. You understand? Now, he gives you the grace to to pursue it, but we've seen folks who make professions who just fall off the face of the earth. Professions don't save you, folks. It's commitments to Christ. So, he proclaims the promise of salvation to those who overcome. And here's what he's going to say. And then verse 8, he talks about the judgment. And the wicked will experience eternal judgment. Now, verse 8 basically is a list. He's basically saying, but anybody like this isn't going to be there. These folks who were habitually practicing these things, the wicked and all of their whatever, aren't going to be there. They're not going to be there. Because they're going to be where, folks? Where are they going to be at? The lake of fire. Look with me, verse uh, 9 through 11. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the last with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had great and high walls with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, it's in the measure of the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And he measured its walls, 140 cubits according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold and clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. First foundation was jasper, second Sapphire, the third Chalcedonia, and the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Crystallite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Chrysophrase. You know, I need my son Sawyer here. He's the he's the geologist, and the eleventh Jacene and the twelfth Amethyst. Okay, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the streets were of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated, 
The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who were saved walked in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall be there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who were written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as a crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And it's, and there, there shall be no more curse, but on the throne of God and on the Lamb, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forevermore, forever and ever. Okay, let's take a look here. First of all, the angel shows John the city as a bride. The angel shows John the city as the bride. Now, the city is spectacular as it descends from God. So this is an awesome sight. I don't know how to describe it. It's an awesome sight. So here's the, he's going to describe the city. And I'm not going to go through all of these different minerals or, or gems that are made up of it, but we're going to look at a couple things here. First of all, John sees a great, spectacular city. This is going to be some kind of awesome city, folks. Here's the, one, here's the amazing thing. It has no temple because God dwells in their midst. The city has no temple because God dwells in their midst. I want you to think about that. Before, even, even in our concept here in North America, we, we should know better. When we come here to the church, a lot of people have a concept that this is where you go to meet God. No, no, God lives within you if you're a believer. We come to gather in a place like this to gather as believers to worship God, but this is not where God dwells, but people have that concept. And in Jerusalem, especially with the Jew, the temple was where the presence of God was. You went up to the temple to go worship God. Now, here's what John is saying. He sees in the new city that there is no temple there. Why? Because God dwells with his people. Isn't that awesome? God is going to dwell in the midst of his people. That, that's an awesome thing. That's beyond my comprehension. Here's what I want you to see. Notice now, as far as light, there is no need for light because the presence of God illuminates the city. The presence of Jesus illuminates the city. There's no need for light. There's no need for the sun. There's no need for the moon. There's no need for street lights, floodlights, halogen lights. There's no need for any of that because there's going to be light there and the, and the source of the light is going to be Jesus himself. Then notice the glory of the nations. The glory and tribute of the nations is brought to the city. So the nations are going to bring tribute to the city. He tells us then in verse 27 who inhabits the city. The saved will inhabit the city. Now who's that, folks? Believers. 
you're a believer, you're going to inhabit the city. Now, I want you to notice something. We're going to see it here in this next section here. The river of the water of life. We see that in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 22. John sees the river of life proceed from the throne of the Lamb of God. He sees the river of life proceed out from the throne, and it runs down through the heart of the city. Then he sees, verse 2, he tells us that there's a tree planted on the side of this river. John sees the tree of life, which brings healing. Now, anybody remember the tree of life? We're, we're introduced to the tree of life somewhere else in the Scripture. Genesis, it's in the garden. Remember, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember when the curse was given, they were banned from, banned from Eden, from the garden, and an angel was set there to guard, what? The tree of life, lest they should take from it and be, what? Forever in that state. So God, in His mercy, did not allow them to eat from that tree of life at that point. But in heaven, you're going to be able to eat from the tree of life, folks. And what is that going to do? That's going to, you're going to continue to live in an eternal state because of this tree. Now, I don't understand that completely. It ain't an apple. I mean, I know, I mean, everybody likes to say it's an apple. It's got some sort of fruit. It's not an apple. I might be surprised it might be, but it, it doesn't say that it's an apple. Maybe it's a mango. I don't know. But this tree is going to bring healing. Healing. Now, verse 3 and 4 are the ones that are, these verses are what's amazing to me, because here's what it says. John sees the throne of God. He sees the throne of God. We say he's already seen the throne of God before. Yeah, but there's something different about this time. Because I want you to notice with me, he sees the throne of God. Why? He tells us in verse 4 that the inhabitants will what? See the face of God. Now, up until this point, if anybody looks into the face of God, can they handle it? They're going to what? If you look into the face of God right now, folks, you're going to what? Die. Remember, even Moses, who met with God... Could not he, and he even said, God, I want to see your face. God says, you can't handle seeing my face. I'm going to put you in a rock. I'm going to cover you. And when I walk by, I'm going to let you look at my what? My backside. Because you can't handle looking at me. Sinful man cannot handle. This is what I'm trying to say to you. We're going to be in a sinless state. We're going to be perfect. And we're going to be able to see God face to face. Is that not awesome? Here's what that communicates. When I talk to somebody face to face, that communicates a relationship. That communicates intimacy. That's what's going to be awesome about heaven. We're going to be intimate with God. Isn't that an awesome thought? Maybe I'm the only one that's blown away by that. You know? You know, can I be honest with you? Then he changed the music. They need to change the music. They need to change Southern Gospel music. Quit talking about mansions. Quit talking about streets of gold. Talk about why we're going to be there. God! I mean, if they're using gold for asphalt, that's obviously not the center point of heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? If they're using gold for asphalt, like how many of you walk around with an asphalt cross or some other piece of ornament. I mean, you know, unless you're a geology guy like my son, you don't really care about asphalt. 
because it's just like we just pave roads with it. That's what they're doing in heaven. Gold is so trivial, they pave roads with it. By the way, the roads are already paved. But I mean, here's what I want you to see. The issue is God. That's our focus, seeing Jesus. Seeing God. That's the intimacy that's there. And then here's what it says. This is an awesome part. The saints will rule with God forever and ever. Now, who is that? Believers. You're going to rule with Him. Isn't that awesome? That's just awesome. You know, chapter 21 through the first five verses of 22, you need to spend some time there. You need to digest. This is what we're longing for. When pain is removed, perfection, and being with God. Isn't that awesome? That's completely awesome. Now next week we're going to look at the final word. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 22, verse 6 through 21. We're going to look at John's final word in this book and go from there. Let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.